Hey. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm so excited. You've been talking so much about this case and like not giving me any information. <laughs> I'm so ready. I'm excited. All right. Are you ready to get started? I'm ready. Okay. Let's do it. My name's Savannah. I'm Alicia. And this is Burden of Proof. All right, everybody. I'm going to jump right into it because there's a lot. Okay. And But I want to keep it to one episode. All right. I feel like it's not, it's not enough to cover too. So. Okay, we got it. There's, this is the murder of Lisa Knafel. Yes, it's Knafel. It's spelled a little different. So, all right. So, I'm going to start with the victim, Lisa Knafel, and her background. So, Lisa was a social worker uh, for the Cuyahoga County Department of Children and Family Services in Ohio. This was, all took place in Willoughby, Ohio, near Cleveland. Uh, the Ohio. Yeah, I love my Ohio cases. So Lisa was specifically a social worker within the sex abuse unit of family services. So, yeah, she dealt with her fair share of intense things, I'm sure. She um, and her first husband, she's actually been married twice. Uh, Her first husband, Nicholas Zanella, and her shared a daughter, Megan, who at the time of the murder was 13 years old. She had been described as nothing but loving and compassionate, even having fostered children while she was a single mother. Oh. Yeah. After her and Nicholas divorce, she she had more love. So she she um fostered at least one child at a time, but I think multiple children. And then um it's been reported that her and Nicholas continued to have a very amicable mm-hmm relationship beyond you know beyond divorcing and then in 2006 she married kevin knafel and by all accounts their friends their family everybody said it was a happy marriage some people even went on to say like they were destined to be together and her friends had said that as soon as they met him he fit right in everything was great they totally saw what she saw in him Oh, that's interesting. For yeah. For your friends to be on board, that's... Yeah. So a few years later, they uh, she gave birth to their daughter, Haley. So at the time of her death, Haley was only three years old. Oh. Yeah. It's almost harder on the 13-year-old, though, because you're aware and you have more memory. Oh, it was... Yeah, we'll get into that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that face you just made. It was... We'll get into that. Okay. Okay. Uh, Yeah, it was hard on both of them. Um, So there's not a lot that I could find on Kevin's, like, history. Um, And I kind of wanted to keep the intros short because there's a lot to the case. But he was married once before and had a son from that marriage. He, at the time of Lisa's death, he was a truck driver for Gordon Food Service. Mm Mm-hmm. But he also had worked as a school bus driver, which is interesting given the case, Uh, as well as he was an EMT in the past. So that's about all that I could really, without like spending days on researching it, is not much came up. So then there was their foster daughter, Sabrina. I like that name. Good name. 
Yeah, you might like it less by the oh, end of no. this. <laughs> um, Sabrina that does have a she has a sordid history. She um was born October twenty seventh, nineteen ninety four, to unwed parents who were both addicts and in and out of trouble with the law. So she was predominantly raised by her grandmother, along with her father, when he was around, basically, mm-hmm. from what I gathered, um, until she was about fourteen. Her grandmother's health was declining, and Sabrina's father was still an addict and still in and out of jail. So uh, she started getting into trouble, and Grandma couldn't keep up. So she was removed from the home. She initially, in the foster system, she initially went to group homes predominantly. Because how old was she? 14. 14. Yeah. And she had been accused of, like, stealing from her grandma and, you know. Ser- more serious stuff, not mm-hmm. normal, not your typical teenage stuff. She also had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, ADHD, and insomnia. And at that point, um, when she was in foster care, she was on nine, as many as nine different medications oh, for it. Nice. So it was pretty severe. And or she was being medicated incorrectly. Yeah, which is <laughs> that could be. Yeah, that could be too. Then in July of 2011, at 16 years old, Sabrina went to live with Lisa and Kevin Knafel. And by all accounts, she had was very excited to finally get to be a part of a family, mm-hmm. not just a group home. She started doing better overall. Her behavior was better. Her academics were better. Like nobody, nobody was having a problem with her. That's good. From the start. She felt closer to Kevin than Lisa. She would later say that Lisa made her feel like an outsider and Lisa was rather unapproachable to her. So she pretty instantly, which is hard to understand because Lisa was a social worker. Yeah. And that's what I was processing. And And she was also a foster parent. Parent before. She was a single mom. So. Right. So it's. You have to take that with a grain of salt because Sabrina had issues. She mm-hmm. she really wasn't – her mom was not really much in the picture of her yeah. life from what I gathered. So she probably kind of had some issues <laughs> with yeah. mom – what's the word I'm looking for? Mommy issues? Figures. Mother, oh, figures. mother figures. Yeah, she probably had some issues. And so – and it may have been issues. a little – yeah, well, I mean <laughs> – so she Sabrina reportedly displayed very maternal behavior towards Haley, their three, 3-year-old, okay. the Knafel's 3-year-old daughter. Well, that makes sense. So much so though that it caused problems oh. between her and Lisa. Oh, cuz she was undermining. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. she just it's one thing to be big sister and be maternal, it's another thing to actually apparently this was like so much so almost as if she's trying to like play mom for real to Haley. Hmm. So Lisa began fighting with Kevin because Sabrina would get kind of flirty or inappropriate with Kevin. And he was, what's what's that saying that the kids say? He was there for it. (laughs) Here for it. He was was here here for for it. it. Well, I guess at the time, since it's past. I guess. <laughs> he was there. I don't think that's one of those things that you don't change. It's just here okay. for it. He was well, here he for was it. here for it. 
Despite Lisa's suspicions and protests to Kevin, he continued his unusual relationship with Sabrina, which included things like Sabrina picking out underwear for him and giving him thigh massages. I can't. I can't. I can't. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it through this. It's horrible. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. And you're a grown adult. You yeah. You should be able to say, okay, this is like icky. So the excuse that he used for that was that Sabrina at the time was considering, she was trying to figure out what she wanted to do. Um, she considered, she was into modeling. Um, I won't comment on that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she was into modeling. She was, she was considering going to cosmetology school or like massage therapy school. And he was a truck driver. So he was like, um, my thighs are always so oh, tense. they're so tense from sitting yes. in my truck. Yes. I'm not saying that truck drivers don't have body issues. You definitely have, like, back issues. I'm not sure if yeah. you have, like, thigh what? issues. Yeah, that's the – that's. Let me know if I'm wrong. <laughs> but when in your thigh no. hurts from being a truck driver? My brother was a truck driver. And I, he complained about back problems occasionally. Yeah. But I don't recall him ever going, man, my thighs really hurt. Oh, these thighs, they're burning. So, um, everything seemed, you know, they had issues, obviously. Lisa and Kevin were arguing about those things. Um, oh, no shit. But, you know, other than that, from the outside perspective, like, it didn't necessarily, nothing seemed sinister. Mm-hmm. But. In the early morning hours of November 16th, 2012, Megan, Lisa's 13-year-old daughter, is awakened to a struggle in the home. She calls 911 screaming at somebody who's there, but they, of course, don't know who it is, to stop. And in the background, at one point, you can hear another female voice yelling to call 911. The call is disturbing. I considered using it, but it, it's okay. too much. And you can't make out half of what Megan says because she's so frantic and hysterical. But the dispatcher gets her to calm down a bit enough to say, mm-hmm. okay, this is what's happening. And Megan tells her that her sister has a knife and is trying to kill her mom. Police. You you have something? I did, but it's okay. No, go ahead. Um, I tend to think that when we when you first listen to 911 calls, the 911 operators can be very abrasive. Yeah. Because the, they have to be. Yes. And like, they have to be really firm. Yes. And I remember the first time I ever had to call 911 was I was in a, I was in a McDonald's drive through and in a parking lot behind us, a guy was beating his girlfriend up. <gasps> and oh, I was no. like, I don't want to do it. I was 16. I was leaving my first yeah. job, which was at JCPenney. <laughs> And I was like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to yeah. do it. And the McDonald's worker was like, I am not allowed to do it. I'm on the clock. Like, you have to do it. I don't know why she wasn't allowed to do it. But she made me do it. I don't know that that's accurate. I don't think so either. <laughs> but, okay. Um, and so I called and I remember thinking, like, I was panicking because I didn't know what to do. I was stuck in the drive through The guy in front of me had gotten out of the car to go help the chick. So I was like, uh, uh, panicking. And if they had not been so firm and abrasive with me, yeah. I don't know if I would have been able to get out in time. Yeah. That they needed to help. So yes. even when you, because I don't know, I was listening to one the other day and I was like, that, why are they so, oh, but that's why they're so mean. Yeah. Because they have to be. Yeah. And when you listen to it, the dispatcher is 
sort of abrasive with her yeah. and tells her, I need you to calm down. I need you to take a breath. Like yeah. is like being very <laughs> and it's just, firm it's with just, her. I don't know. I thought about it the other day because it's just such a different way to calm people down than we don't normally do in real life. We're just like, it's okay. Take yeah. We don't have time. But you don't have time. Exactly. And they really didn't have time. So police arrive on the scene to find Sabrina exiting Lisa's bedroom with a bloody and bent nine-inch serrated kitchen knife. Nine inches. Nine inches is a big knife. Nine inches is a big knife. Sabrina herself had cuts or lacerations on her hands, the back of her neck, and her her legs above her knees. Lisa put up a fight. Yeah. Yeah. The back of her neck? Yep. She was reaching. Officer um, Mullinax was the first on the scene. He described Sabrina's appearance as though it looked like she literally showered in blood. Oh, oh, that's such an image. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I can see it. He ordered her to the ground and cuffed her, then entered Lisa's bedroom, where Lisa was on the floor covered completely in blood, and he said he knew as soon as he walked in and saw her that there wasn't much he could do. To help her. Then police find Lisa's three-year-old daughter, Haley, in the closet (gasps) of the bedroom. Yes. Wait, is she alive? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. sorry. Oh, God. (laughs) I'm so sorry. You've been talking about Lisa being the victim. No, no. Oh, my gosh. There was a three-year-old? Lisa, uh, Sabrina loved Haley. So, no, she did not. She did yeah, not. That didn't make and, I can. I have the goosebumps. They're leaving my body. And I'm so sorry. <laughs> I should have phrased that better. Um, no, she adored Haley, and yeah. even though she didn't get along with Megan very well, she didn't harm Megan. Yeah. Even when Megan was screaming at her and trying to get her to stop, apparently, mm-hmm. because Megan later reports that before she even called nine one one, she tried to actually like physically mm-hmm. pull her off of Lisa and get her to stop and Sabrina never turned and like stabbed her or anything oh my gosh so um unfortunately Lisa was dead upon arrival they weren't even the EMTs uh reported that they weren't even able to run an IV because her veins had collapsed from all the blood loss Sabrina was out of sorts she was you know not really answering questions at first she kind of acted acted dazed and confused and at one point when the emts are checking out her cuts and stuff she even started to doze off but when she finally did come to and start talking she claimed that she blacked out and didn't have any recollection of what happened but you know obviously you did it (laughs) so I never know if I believe people when they say, well, I just blacked out. Like, I don't know how much truth yeah. is in that psychologically. No. Can you? I mean, I know you can black out events like after the fact, but do you black out in the moment? No. And my, I don't know. I've never done it. Never. never. I, th- oh, I think there's probably rare occasions where people do, but I would think that you would at some point in the midst of it something would happen to jar you know. out of it. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, like Megan approaching her. Yeah. You're standing there. Yeah. Even if you're, even if you were like, 
having some sort of dream or something that caused you to yeah. do that. It's soon because people who like I have a child who had night terrors and she would be look wide awake. They look when people have night terrors, they open their eyes, they look wide they look wide awake in it. But when you approach them and you jostle them or you mm-hmm. wake them, then they freak out because they don't know what's real like they just oh, came out of horrifying. Yeah. And so even that, like, I would think that Megan trying to physically jar her and get her off of Lisa, that would have, like, snapped her out of it yeah. or something. But that's what she claimed at first. So needless to say, she was arrested and taken to the Lake County Jail. Lisa's autopsy showed that she had been stabbed 12 times fully and cut or wounded 166 <gasps> times. Oh, my gosh. At least two of the stabs were lethal with one severing the carotid carotid artery and another collapsing her lung. So obviously they know Sabrina's the murderer, but they really didn't understand the motive. Yeah, because I mean, it looks like they or were doing she was doing well. Yeah. By all accounts she had been doing well and just because she didn't get along with obviously this girl has had troubles before yeah she never she never she never there were no reports saying while she had gotten into trouble it was all like drug related or stealing money or you know that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff none of it was violent yeah nothing so the other thing the other confusing thing is this happens on november 16th 2012 sabrina had just turned 18 on October 27th, I believe it was. And she's still living so, there. Like, and she, she chose to, to live there. Yeah. She was part of the foster system. So on her 18th birthday, they do an evaluation with her and she chose to stay. And they allowed her to and stay. And they allowed her Everything to stay. Everything was going fine. So if it was just a matter of her and Lisa not getting along, why would Sabrina not just say, okay, I'm moving out? Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm going to go fine i'm gonna go live with another family like my biological family member or and she and she i have friends so much yeah it just it's a little it yeah it's weird so investigators are kind of twiddling their thumb well no that's a bad choice of words i'm sorry not twiddling their thumbs but scratching their heads there we go there we go there it is um because they can't figure it out yeah because it's not glaringly obvious for sure nine Nine months later, and we'll get into the, like, why did she wait nine months to come forward? Sabrina finally comes to investigators and says, okay, I'll tell you why I did it, but we're going to strike a deal, essentially. So she's willing to tell them as long as they strike this deal, which was life- with the possibility of parole after 30 years, which I've heard on some sources and, and various things say that doesn't seem like much of a deal, but it's because Ohio, there's the death penalty. Mm-hmm. So kind of, and she was young, which meant that she's only going to be like in her 40s when yeah. she gets, if she gets out after 30 years. So well, she even still if she has. get out, then that means she's not going to die. Yeah. And some people would rather not die, even if they have to live their life out in prison. So. That would be me. I wouldn't want to die. Brace yourself. Oh, Lord. Okay. Hold on. So this is Sabrina's story. Hold on. Let me brace. All right. I'm ready. 
Sabrina tells investigators that Kevin Knafel had been the motive all along. She said that their relationship had changed when she was still 17. It began with the thigh massages. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, she said that within a couple of months from starting with the massages, it escalated into her massaging his genitals. Oh, it's so icky. In early 2012, while on a camping trip, Kevin and Sabrina started masturbating one another. Sabrina went on to say that's when she really developed strong feelings for Kevin. Even going so far as to change his contacts in her phone as Kevin Love. Oh my gosh, other people see that, bestie. Mm -hmm. That's what got me. That's why I put it in there because that stood out to me like, what what if your foster mom open like checks she's your phone? Not. I check my kid's phone periodically, especially if she's fighting me on stuff or like I'm having issues with her. I'm gonna check her phone. I mean, I my parents weren't checking my phone when I was 17. No. They stopped checking my phone when I was like 15, 16-ish. But I don't check unless I have, have a reason to. But they didn't have to. any reason to, exactly. But, like, what's the likelihood if you have a foster kid and you're not getting along with her and yeah. the, you're and not going to have a reason of, yeah, to? Yeah, I mean, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. But I get what so, you're saying. Why would you change the – that's weird. Okay, moving on. So she also tells them that that summer, uh, Kevin went with her to the bank and they opened a checking account with him as the co-signer. And she claimed that that was around, that was a little bit before their relationship advanced to sexual intercourse. In the fall of 2012, Kevin would drive her to school each morning, giving them an opportunity for what Sabrina described as mostly blowjobs and fingering. <laughs> I'm just, you can't see it because this is an audio podcast, but I'm staring off into space <laughs> trying to get him through trying this to get through. Dying. While she was very vague about the relation, when exactly the relationship escalated to f intercourse, she did recall one instance, brace yourself. <laughs> I'm already when, I need a seatbelt. When they had sex. While she was hospitalized in September of 2012 for an appendicitis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in it, the world? It Where were the nurses? It was <laughs> also around that time that she said that Kevin started confiding in her. And in one of his confessions... He said that there were life insurance policies on Lisa worth up to $750,000 and then commented that Lisa was worth more dead than alive. He also suggested that if Lisa were gone, he and Sabrina could be together and raise a family, including Haley. Oh, that is so messed up. Yes. I don't even know where to start, so I'm just going to let you keep going and <laughs> we'll get there, I guess. Sometime in October 2012, Kevin and Sabrina had a conversation with Sabrina's friend, Autumn Pavlik, about having one of Autumn's friends kill Lisa, like hiring a hitman, basically. 
but Autumn moved to California later that month and nothing more came of the plan. Sabrina then turned 18 on October 27th, but chose to stay in the house, like I said. Shortly after her birthday, Kevin told Sabrina that he no longer loved Lisa, but didn't want a divorce because he would have to share custody with Haley. And I kind of assumed that he had like a sour because that seems to be that was like very repetitive that he would talk about that, like not just with Sabrina, but like mention it to other people. And I'm assuming that that's a thing because like sources say he had a son from the first marriage, but the son didn't live with him. Yeah, I'm guessing like the son, he probably I, I don't or... like I don't know. There was only like the only person like there was one person that I think was his sister who said, oh, no, he was a fantastic father, blah, blah, blah. But yet there's no there's no talk about his son yeah. throughout this. So I'm guessing he didn't have custody. He probably had visitation maybe or something with his son. And so he has that like idea that. He mm-hmm. he just doesn't want to lose another kid, not even part-time. So in early November, Kevin and Sabrina start discussing using a gun to kill Lisa. Sabrina says that the plan was for her to shoot a gun, use a gun to kill Lisa that could not be traced to Kevin, and then hide the gun in the basement so he, he would then dispose of it. But the plan doesn't pan out because the day he's going to take Sabrina to the shooting range to teach her how to shoot, Lisa says, I want to go to the shooting range with you. <laughs> so the morning before the murder, Kevin tells Sabrina of a fight that he and Lisa had. And he begins crying. And she even described him as like putting his head on the steering wheel of the car, like hitting his head on the steering wheel of the car saying he just can't stand it anymore and he's going to kill himself if Lisa's not dead. Oh my gosh. So what does a naive 18-year-old kid do? With mental health issues. Yes. Who believes that she's in love with him and he's in love with her and Lisa's just standing in the way. So she says, okay, I'll do it. Kevin had already, apparently at some point when they had already been discussing, like, do we use a gun? Do we? They had gone over all the options. And he actually explained to her what to do in order to kill with a knife as well. He told her what kind of knife to get from the kitchen, how to use it, including twisting it, like stab her and then twist it. That'll be more fatal. He even told her, like, if she's laying on her back, stab her here. If she's laying on her side, stab her there. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Then he's so that's so horrible. I mean, that's your spout. That's your person that you're you you decided yeah. to build a life with. Yeah. So he even went so far as to tell her like what clothes to wear. He told her to wear a mat, like a ski mask to make it look and then like, you know, trash the room and stuff to make it look like it was a burglary gone wrong. But do it all before Haley wakes up is basically what the gist of that was. And then he told her where and how to dispose of the evidence so that he would then come and take that away. He's also the one that told her to pretend like she blacked out if she were to get caught. And he said, don't worry, if you get caught, 
I will, I will help you. I will work on it. I'll help you if you end up in jail. Help her with what? Yeah. She killed someone. How are you going to help her? So, when like hire a defense attorney, they're not going to be able to argue that you didn't kill someone. You're yeah. going to jail. Yeah. So when she's asked, of course, investigators are like, okay, but why are you just now coming? They're skeptical. Yeah. Like, why are you just now coming to us with this information? She said that he promised he would help her and he hasn't shown up. So she felt abandoned. Oh, wait, and, why do I? I'm not, not, not all. Like, I don't yeah, feel bad. You yeah. killed someone. But also, like, that But, like, sucks. she's still, I mean, yes, she's 18, but she's not a well-adjusted 18-year-old no, yeah. by any means, you know? So... I'm, I'm not sure surprising, she, but also like, yeah, to some degree, like, come on, he's the adult in the situation. Like he took, yeah. if, if everything she's saying is true, he took full advantage of her. What did he think she was going to do? He wasn't going to show up and she's just going to keep it to herself for the rest of her life. No. Yeah. Be an art. Rat him out. Yep. So, and she told them, I just, I want justice. Like I'm willing, look, I, I know I'm going to jail, but I want justice. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't the only one that did this. So for ju- for justice to be served, both of us need to face the consequences, basically, was her reaction. So, of course, they start to investigate Kevin. The officer first on the scene, Officer Mullinex, had also met with Kevin later that morning of the murder and described Kevin's demeanor as calm. Kind of unusually calm. Hmm. He reported that Kevin, quote, gave me a strange preface saying that he was some kind of EMT before and that he had seen stuff like this numerous times and I wasn't going to tell him anything that he hasn't seen before and he wanted to know every detail of what happened. Police records also showed that on September 15th of 2012, Kevin reported a domestic dispute that he claimed took place. He said that Lisa and him got into an argument regarding her daughter Megan because he had grabbed Megan by the back of the neck to walk her to her room and Lisa accused him of choking Megan. Now, Lisa and Megan had already left the house. They weren't there when police showed up to take the report. But so when questioned, he said, well, I just wanted to make sure there's a report in case the incident leads to our divorce. And so it won't affect my custody of Haley. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. So they start and obviously through investigation. Where do you start when you don't have like the all the physical evidence leads to Sabrina? Yeah. Right. Physical evidence doesn't normally help find motive. Exactly. So they start interviewing anyone and everyone. Willie Smith, who was a social worker assigned to Sabrina through the 2011-2012 school year, reported an occasion where he met with Kevin to resolve a dispute between Sabrina and some other students. Smith noted that it was rather uncomfortable because Sabrina sat on Kevin's lap or between his legs the duration of the meeting. Um, Aren't you the social worker? Yeah. Shouldn't you be like? That's not appropriate. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. Check yourself. Like most cases, you'll you'll find that along the way. And honestly, some people even question, like, if Lisa suspected something yeah. was going on, why would she not, as a social worker, deal with that? But you 
kind of have to, if she didn't have any physical, like, solid proof, my guess is this is her home and she doesn't want to potentially, like, I would fear for my job. If I took a foster kid in and then my husband's yeah. doing something, I would fear for my job. So I wouldn't want to turn that in until I have, like, solid right. proof. Well, and on top of that, like, it's just hard when you're in it, you know? Looking yes. for us to look at it objectively. Yeah. And for that social worker who's in that meeting who's looking at it objectively. Yeah. That's why I'm like, what are you doing? But if you're in it, that's different. You know, it's it's usually, well, I just, my thighs are sore, bitch. Are you going <laughs> to massage thighs. my thighs? <laughs> No, I'm not. <laughs> so, okay. So they meet with Nicole Corbett, who was another social worker assigned to Severina. Yeah, I believe she was the social worker assigned at the time of the murder. She tells investigators that just a month before the murder, Kevin had called her inquiring if Sabrina would be able to remain with him if he and Lisa were to separate or divorce. She confirmed that it was a possibility. Because, of course, they didn't know yeah. what was happening. But I guess that might not be an unusual thing in the when it comes to foster kids. Like, to if call. divorcing, just making sure that they still had a stable place. I guess yeah. that's not weird. But I still feel like you would question, like, why the father? Why the would she go with you versus the mother who's the social worker and has fostered before? Yeah. You know? But nevertheless, again, it's just a small little thing that to that person probably didn't seem that significant at the time. Next was Latasha Stewart. She was a coordinator for the Catholic Charities that supervised Sabrina's work during the summer of 2012. She reported that during a meeting with Sabrina, she mentioned, Sabrina mentioned that she did not, that Lisa did not like their relationship, Sabrina and Kevin's relationship. But that's all she said. Stewart then asked her directly if there was anything inappropriate about their relationship, and Sabrina denied. She said no. Well, yeah, if you ask her, she's going to say no. Yeah. And she, you have <laughs> of to, course. You have to do more than just be like, so just as, as friends, just no, tell me. Just tell me. Come on. Come on, just tell me. Spill it. No. Yep. Melissa Jivak was Sabrina's probation officer. And she tells investigators that in July or August of 2012, Kevin called her, her clearly agitated, asking her to speak with Sabrina because Sabrina wanted to date an older boy. <laughs> <laughs> the look on your face. I love it. Yes. Hey, I hate to break it to you, dude. Too old. <laughs> like, no, apparently there really was an, another boy that she, yeah. Oh, come on, Sabrina. You could pick that one. That bad boy's good. So GVAC confirmed that she did speak with Sabrina after her conversation with Kevin, and she told Sabrina, you're in their house. You have to abide by their rules. So if they say you can't date this boy, then you can't date this boy. All right. So this is where it gets even more interesting. What are you talking? Uh, I'm enthralled, honestly. So David Strunk was a close personal friend of Kevin's for 16 years. You think you know you you think you know a person. Uh-huh. So he tells investigators that in October of 2012, his family and the Knafels took a camping trip together where Kevin confided in him 
that he and Lisa had been fighting a lot and that Lisa believed Kevin was having an affair with Sabrina. Kevin confirmed that he was considering a divorce. He also then showed Strunk modeling photos of Sabrina and admitted to him that she had picked out his underwear because she thought they would be more comfortable. Here's the thing that gets me about the underwear. <laughs> I, I am a married woman. You're in a serious relationship. So even in a serious relationship, like, I know what underwear my husband wears. And if he suddenly comes home with different underwear, I'm going to question that. Oh, yeah. Like, if he's been wearing the same oh, type yeah. of underwear for oh, yeah. decades. And now, all of a sudden, you're wearing... And he di- says she picked out his underwear. Did he? Did she like pick from his underwear drawer? Or did she buy him new no, underwear? No, they bought new underwear. Oh, she yeah, may, she may or may not have bought that. That's why well, it was yeah. a little fuzzy. Did she buy them, or was she just with you when you were shopping for them and she picked them out? Not sure. Does it really matter? No. Well, I think it's different. I for some reason it's worse to me if she like goes in his underwear drawer and it's like I like these. <laughs> <laughs> then just like buying. I don't know that so if you're at the store I can, yeah. see, I can see you saying like well what do you think like do you think these would be more comfortable if you're debating it's weird because it's your foster daughter that's well yeah the boundary talk but to your wife about that uh, you don't talk reason, to your foster daughter yeah. about that the reason I asked was because it would be way weirder to me if she's like hmm let's see and she's like rightfully <laughs> through oh no not these ones they're dirty oh you need to do laundry like that's weird <laughs> That's way worse to me than buying a pack of Oh, my gosh. Who knows? She may have done that, too. We don't know. <laughs> Ladies, so- pay attention to what underwear your man's is wearing. Your foster daughter might have picked it out. I Ugh. can't. I can't. I can't. Ugh. This is so okay. icky. Is the only Hang word. in there. Hang in there. Yikes. Stay with me. All right. So Kevin Melvin, Sabrina's teacher and part who was also a part-time police officer for the city of Willoughby. Oh, okay. Reports that he witnessed Sabrina outside the school talking to Kevin on the morning of November 14th, 2012. So this is two days before the murder. At an unusual time. So it's not, he didn't like just take her to school. It's in the morning, but after she's already been at school for a little bit. Oh, okay. And then he again saw him later that day inside the school trying to approach Sabrina to talk to her again. And where, I'm sorry, where is this in relation to the murder? Two days before. Two days before. Yeah. They're plotting. So he, go, he goes up to Kevin and says, um, sir, you're going to need to check in. Do you have in. a visitor pass? <laughs> Do you have a visitor pass? You're going to need to check in at the you office. sticker. So Kevin did. He checked in. Teresa Mann, the high school's attendance secretary, Confirmed that Sabrina had signed herself out at 8.54 a.m. on November 14th. So this is when the teacher saw them outside. She had signed herself out at 8.54 and then signed back in at 9.05. Okay. Weird. Who does that? Yeah. Just. You don't. What do you have to talk to your kid? That you can't like. Yeah. This is 2012. Like text her. (laughs) Exactly. Except he was smart about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But not smart we'll enough get, to not sign we'll, in to the school. We'll get that. We'll get there. So. I don't know that, how much. I don't. Honestly, you keep saying we're going to get there. I don't know how much else there oh, could possibly be. There's a lot. Okay. <laughs> so I'll get into like, here's the thing. 
when it comes to Kevin, obviously when it comes to Sabrina, all the forensics and all the facts are, boom, she did it. But when it comes to Kevin, the case is very circumstantial. It's a lot of interviews. It's a lot. There's Okay, I see what you're saying. Okay, so there's a lot of people, though, that can testify to all of these little things that just add up. Okay. I love circumstantial cases. <laughs> I love it. It's my favorite. Okay, so Erica Gator, Lisa's supervisor from work. It's a good last name. Tells this. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. I think I am. Um, she tells investigators that Lisa seemed distracted in the weeks prior to the murder and that the day after Lisa's died, she takes food over to Kevin's mother's home where him and at least I'm assuming Haley was staying. I'm assuming. God, I hope they let Megan go with her father. <laughs> I, yeah. I would think so. But um, so she takes food over to the family and just, you know, to pay respects and everything. And she said that Kevin seemed to be completely normal, not upset at all. She also observed while she was there that there was a picture of Sabrina on the fridge. Which. I mean, maybe they just hadn't taken it down, but that seems a little weird. It, it's a little weird. Like, why would you not? Like, you you really want to look at the picture of the girl that just stabbed your wife 178 times the night before? Really? I wish you could see my face. Really? It's a stupid face that I'm making. <laughs> Uh, this is stupid. Yeah. Erica later, um, or she describes Kevin's demeanor at the funeral later, just days later, as emotionless. You'd think you'd at least pretend. Yeah. Kayleen Lesman was a co-worker of Lisa's for 13 years, so she knew yeah, her she pretty, knew well. pretty well. Reported that months for months prior to the me- murder, I almost said meeting, sorry. With a <laughs> To the me- murder. Murder. Lisa would often step away from her desk and take calls and then come back upset, clearly upset. Carrie Ward, a, also a coworker but social friend of Lisa's, told investigators that Lisa had expressed concern about Sabrina's interactions with her daughters. Lisa had told her that Sabrina would fight with Megan often and play mother to Haley. Word also stated that Lisa expressed frustration about Sabrina's relationship with Kevin. Okay. So that seems to be really the only person that she truly confided a full scope of everything that was going on. But multiple people saw that she was not herself for many weeks. So that same friend, Carrie, also recalled... Kevin telling her in a very matter-of-fact kind of manner that $50,000 was going to be a lot to make up, which is how much Lisa made was Lisa's salary. Oh, my gosh. Dude. So here we go. I'm going to – this is where you got – strap in. Strap in. Okay. Well, I already put a seatbelt on. up to this point, the man was obviously very sneaky. Like – He's doing stuff. People suspect stuff, but nobody can prove it, right? Yeah, you can't prove any of it. And he's pretty sly about stuff. But then the fool gets greedy. (laughs) The morning. The morning. Okay, so she's murdered on November 16th at like 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. He's out on the road. Yeah. I I forgot to mention that part. So he wasn't home, obviously. 
he's out on the road so he can have alibi deniability yeah deniability i did actually wonder where that he was because he was a truck driver so he was able so he gets home at like 5 a.m picks up at least Haley, if not both megan and Haley, and then goes to his family's goes to his mom's house i believe and but that same morning he spends the morning making phone calls to several places, including funeral home, all of the life insurance policies. He's calling right away saying, how do I make a claim on every single one of the life insurance policies that they had on Lisa? Because that's what you think of first and foremost when your wife just got murdered was got to make those insurance claims. Oh, my gosh. I mean, part of me is like, well, I'm so logical that the first thing I'd be, okay, what kind of, what do I need to do? Like, what's my next step? Because that's the only way I could keep going. But also the life insurance. Like, I could see calling the funeral home for yeah, sure. that makes sense. Because you know that you're going to have to have a funeral and it's going to have to be probably to soon. Yeah. yeah. But even that, she was murdered. How fast does it have to be? Because they're going to do an autopsy. Yeah. So- it's not going to be as fast as if she died of old age. Like No, I know all about how long it takes to medical examiners. I've dealt with it many times. And, well, that sounds suspicious, but. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, like. I don't know. You're a probate I'm paralegal. Probate, so I'm like, no, if it works, like it, it does. It, it slows the process down. So yes. you should know that. So... And they tell you that when they, when you call a coroner mm-hmm. and they show up and they say, well, we're going to need to get the medical examiner involved because of X, Y, and Z. They tell you it's going to take a little while longer. Call your funeral director and let them know. Yep. So, you know, if it had just been the funeral home, though, like, not suspicious at all. But, no, he called all of these. And they they didn't just have, like, one or two plants. They had multiple plans. Well, it is if you're trying to murder (laughs) your wife. (laughs) I don't know. I, you know, we only have a couple. Like, we really only have life insurance through work, like, through an employee, like, a group plan through work. So, I don't know. But she did work for the county. So, she had, like, some things that were just through her job that were very, you know. I was going to say, how many life insurance policies are normal? I don't know. (laughs) Apparently, I don't know. Apparently, I don't know that anybody would want to get this many because then it makes people greedy. Okay. So, starting off... Pamela Brown, who was the branch president of the employee union in which Lisa was a member, reported that Kevin called to just say, what paperwork is needed? I need to file a claim. She told investigators that the union policy was worth between $30,000 and $35,000, depending on the employee's classification. Yes. I see a hand (laughs) hand raised. 54% of people in, in the United States have life insurance. Okay. And the average cost is $178,000. Yeah. No, they had a lot more than so that. They had a lot more life insurance policies. No. Sorry, as the young person who's barely into adulthood, I had a question that I needed yeah. answered. Sure thing. He's calling and asking about He's calling and asking. Then he calls his work because he had one through Gordon Food Service that provided $10,000 
of basic life and Kevin had purchased an additional 60000 in supplemental coverage. Then that actually it was that same policy ended up paying out because they had asked him, how did she die? Because there was also additional coverage mm-hmm. if it's accidental death and dismemberment. Yep. So he actually received a check for $70,000 for the basic and supplemental and then a check for $63,332 for the accidental death. And then they paid out a third check to the funeral home for 6600 blah, 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 you know, some change. A claims examiner at American General Life reported that Kevin made a claim that same day uh, for a $250,000 policy that was issued only months before on May 26th. Oh, I'm sorry, Hmm. May 16th, 2012. There was a Guardian Life insurance policy that... A person there told investigators that Kevin made the claim and received $249,542.34. There was a farmer's insurance policy, and Kevin received $150,000, over $150,000. That's going to get old with me saying all the change. (laughs) So that same, the farmer's insurance agent was the insurance company that Kevin and Lisa had used for multiple different types of policies as well. So he tells investigators not only that Kevin received that payout, but that around that same time, Kevin had changed their renter's policy to a homeowner's policy because they had been renting the house, but it was kind of a rent to own Mm -hmm. situation. So he had apparently used some of this money to purchase the house. He installed a a new swimming pool, and he took out new policies on a 2013 Chevy Cruze, a 2011 Chevy Malibu, and two campers. So he kind of went on a shopping spree. Basically, overall, Kevin collected, reportedly collected over $785,000. Holy holy crap. Mm Mm-hmm. So, remember his good friend David Strunk, who told him, How talked about the, that name? the campy camping trip? Um, he then reports that he met with Kevin on the morning of November 16th. And Kevin had already set up the appointment for the funeral home and was making the calls to life insurance policy. Kevin had asked him to obtain some of the information from one of the life insurance policies, as well as shut down Lisa's digital accounts, including her Facebook, so that he would, quote, not have to deal with people leaving messages. Okay. Which I can understand on one hand. On the other hand, like, that's, so you're just going to cut everybody off. Like, they're, that I don't know. Yeah. It just, it just doesn't. I don't know. We had some weird experiences with Facebook when my grandmother passed away, like, Oh, yeah. yeah. You told me about one of those. Some, sometimes it can just get, like, too much. So that that one I understand. Okay. So on November 17th, the next day, Detective Brian Jackson meets Kevin at the residence at Kevin's request. 
He wanted to enter the house, but he had asked police to ensure there would be no media present. Jackson tried to discourage him from entering and explained nothing had been cleaned up yet. Yeah, you have to get a biohazard team out there. Yeah. That's hard. It's expensive. And, like, they had to tear out the flooring and the walls, and I guarantee, like, yeah. Some of the subflooring was damaged. Like, it's not an easy job. It's not so simple as just take some bleach. Like, yeah, yeah. Things so, you know when you work in probate. <laughs> Jackson stated that Kevin displayed no emotion when told this, and that he said he still wanted to see it for himself. So Jackson left. Yeah, <laughs> dipping. He said deuces. That same day, Kevin went to see, try and visit Sabrina in jail. Corrections officer Jay Leonard informed Kevin that she didn't have any more visiting time that day. Kevin became visibly anxious and told him that he needed to see her. He said no. Kevin went back to the lobby, waited for a few more minutes, and returned to the officer, like, slamming his hands down on the counter, or at least, like, firmly, Mm -hmm. like, slapping the counter and saying anxiously that, the officer didn't understand he really needed to see her because he was her father. No, sir. Her father actually died of an, a drug overdose in 2012 So as not, well. Mm, yeah. So that was happening, like, I mean, the this, same time. The same yeah. time. Yes. So Strunk tells investigators, his good friend Strunk, that Kevin then, he was with him when he went to the jail, and he was very upset when he got yeah. Back to the car or whatever. Um, he says that then Kevin contacted Sabrina's relatives and asked them to let her know that he was not going to give up on her and that he's there for her. That same afternoon, he arranged for the cleanup crew to go to the house. Um, but he also told them to remove all of Lisa's belongings. Joe Becca was the field specialist for the trauma scene at trauma scene cleanup crew those people do the lord's work yeah they do if you listen to criminal with phoebe judge that podcast she has an episode where she meets with some people who just do tra- crime scene cleanup it's a fantastic episode you should go give it a Ooh, listen i will um i'll have to find the episode number it's really good nice so this guy joe becca tells investigators that kevin told him that cost did not matter because he had a 250000 insurance policy in a, and he said it in a very matter-of-fact kind of way. Becca also told investigators that Kevin asked him to look for a finger and a ring that might be in the bedroom. <laughs> Again, uh, her face. <laughs> uh, bro. On November 19th, David Strunk said that he directly after Kevin's behavior, he's really questioning everything. So he directly asked Kevin if he had any sort of inappropriate relationship with Sabrina. Kevin quickly changed the topic without answering. Also on the 19th of November, Kevin reported Lisa's death to the Ohio Public Employee Retirement System, where Lisa was a member. Um, Due to her membership, Kevin was now entitled to a monthly benefit of $1,030.51. Frances Corley, Sabrina's aunt, uh, reported that she had been concerned for some time about Sabrina's relationship with Kevin because she had been told about the bank account that they opened together, 
She says that Sabrina had lent Kevin money and that she knows Sabrina knew about the life insurance policies Hmm. prior, you know. She also recalled a conversation with Kevin later on in March of 2013 where she asked him directly about his relationship with Sabrina, to which he replied, quote, something to the effect that his neighbors were asking him questions, too. And then he changed the subject. So. There's the long list of (laughs) witnesses of sorts. Yeah, people have stuff to say. Yes. So investigators then, you know, they were able to get a search warrant. They searched the house. They end up examining 22 electronic devices from the home, but found nothing to implicate Kevin in the murder. The one unusual thing that they did find is that between November 1st and November 16th, there were 1,000 491, quote, communications, meaning text messages, uh, cell phone calls, that sort of thing, between Kevin and Sabrina, 78 of which occurred between 7 p.m. on November 15th and 1 a.m. on the 16th, just before the murder. Okay. During that same period of time, there were only 201 communications between Kevin and Lisa, none of which occurred between 7 p.m. and 1 a.m. the night of the murder. (laughs) But investigators did note that Kevin and Lisa worked opposite schedules and that the data did not include home, like home phone calls made from their landline. Yeah, maybe he called so he could talk to Haley too or... Yeah. So... Remember Sabrina's friend Autumn Pavlik, who had the discussion about the hitman. They track her down, and she confirmed that she did have a conversation with Sabrina about hiring a hitman and said that Sabrina would continue to bring it up repeatedly. Pavlik also told investigators that Kevin had shown her a gun that he kept in his truck. She claimed that she and Sabrina discussed doing a drug run to get the money to hire a hitman, but she told Sabrina that she needed a ride to do it. And shortly thereafter, Kevin called her to ask if she still needed a ride. Hmm. Okay. So after the murder and they track her down, she ends up cooperating with investigators and attempts to contact Kevin multiple times by phone and text. On June 4th, 2013, he finally calls her back and they record the conversation, but he doesn't really admit anything. Yeah. Like, he dodges it. Two days later, though, a detective calls Kevin and asks him if he's familiar with Sabrina's acquaintances, including Pavlik. Kevin says her last name doesn't, quote, ring a bell, but that he knows Sabrina had a friend from school named Autumn who, quote, disappeared. So you just talked to her two days ago, but you have no idea who she is. Oh, I just remember. On July 10th, 2013, Pavlik flies to Ohio and goes to Kevin's house. She records the conversation where she asks him what to tell the police. She tells them the police are coming. The police are, like, asking me. They're interviewing me. What do I tell them about the conversations that we had about the hitman and his relationship with Sabrina? 
Kevin responds that she should tell him the tell them the truth because he doesn't know what Sabrina told her. So he's sneaky. Yeah. He's sneaky. In August of 2013, police um oh, that was when police executed. I kind of got ahead of myself with the whole phone thing, but that's when they executed the search warrant. They found, you know, they found all the devices and stuff, but um other than that, they really only found extensive remodeling had been done. He had three vehicles on the property, which were all registered to him, as well as a travel trailer. But they didn't find anything illegal or, like, incriminating, so to speak. Yeah. However, thanks to circumstantial evidence, on June 11, 2014, the jury found Kevin Knafel guilty on all counts, which were six counts of sexual battery, multiple counts of complicity to aggravated murder, and multiple counts of conspiracy to commit aggravated murder. At the state's request, the judge was willing to combine the counts of complicity and conspiracy. So on August 6, 2014, Kevin was sentenced to two years for each of the six counts of sexual battery, and life with parole after 30 years for the complicity to aggravated murder. The sentences were ordered to be served consecutively, which means he will serve a minimum of 42 years. Sounds good to me. Yep. The court additionally ordered this. This I love. I always forget that they do this. The court ordered him to pay the costs of prosecution and found him to be a tier three sex offender. Yay! Yay, yay, yay. So, it doesn't end there. I love it. So, shortly after his, once he was tried and they found him guilty, and they were able to use Sabrina's, like, you know, kind of the star witness, then they sentenced Sabrina. Sabrina was sentenced, as agreed, to life with possibility for parole after 30 years. Sabrina's defense counsel did ask for parole after 20 years attempting to use Kevin's manipulation as a mitigating factor, but the judge denied the request, stating that he didn't think there was, while he didn't think there was any question as to whether Kevin manipulated her, the seriousness of the crime outweighed those other factors. On August 29th, 2014, Kevin made his first appeal Citing seven errors, but I'm only going to go over four of them because the other three were kind of... These are the ones that were interesting to me. So he claimed that the trial court erred by denying his motion to suppress the recorded phone call between him and Autumn Pavlik. The appellate court denied, uh, stating that while he is claiming it violates his Fourth Amendment rights... He really is citing cases that actually refer to California statutory law and that it would only apply if he were the one in California. So because she was in California when they talked, he thought that that meant his team thought that that meant, oh, that applies. No, if you had been the one in California, that would apply. But you weren't. And Ohio laws are different. Number two, he claimed that the testimony given by his good friend David Strunk regarding Lisa Knafel's statements was double hearsay because they were things that Kevin had actually told David. Hearsay is so tricky. It is. It is. 
So they say no, because he's just telling us what you said. And then it kind of the rest speaks for itself. So um, the court basically says under Ohio, I can't talk. I almost said under Ohio construction law. (laughs) Indeed. Under Ohio Constitution law, the court has a fairly wide discretion when it comes to hearsay. The appellate court determined that Lisa's statements were not hearsay because they were not offered to prove the truth of the matter asserted, but rather to show the state of Kevin and Lisa's marriage. Yes. And that is hearsay is a lot about the intent of the phrase. Mm hmm. And it is so tricky. And one day, maybe we'll talk more about it. I don't feel qualified to talk about it. It's it's a lot. It is it's tricky. So tricky. Do you remember when they taught that in Fairly Little School? Yes. I do. And, it was and I remember my head spinning <laughs> quite like, a bit. Wait, like, what? what? <laughs> and every time you think you understand it, then, then, you, get another then like, you get another scenario or example. And you're like, wait. Hold on. No. <laughs> so, and they also say that the point. Um, that point was also corroborated by Sabrina's testimony as well as the text messages retrieved from Lisa's phone because that was the one thing they didn't get they didn't get any messages off the, the text that incriminated him with the murder but they definitely got texts that incriminated him the- as far as like showing the state of his marriage and his relationship yeah. with Sabrina it just furthered that circumstantial evidence yes so the third claim that I'm going to cover was he he tries to claim that the jury erred in finding him guilty by the court overruling his motion for acquittal with respect to count three for sexual battery. Um, and that is sexual intercourse with a minor due to insufficient evidence. The appellate court stated that this argument, quote, raises a question of law as to whether the prosecution offered some evidence concerning each element of the charged offense, citing State versus Brown. The court goes on to quote State versus Jenkins and State versus Lamar, which both conclude that the evidence is to be construed in the prosecution's favor. The elements requiring evidence were that Kevin had sexual intercourse with Sabrina and that it occurred prior to her 18th birthday. Sabrina's testimony detailed multiple times that they had intercourse between August 12th or I'm sorry, August 2012 and October 2012 when she turned 18. Yeah. So you did it, man. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. No, it it goes in the favor of the prosecution. So what are you going to do? I don't know. What are you going to do? Sit in jail. <laughs> so number four, Kevin claimed that all counts of the indictment were against the manifest weight of the evidence. This okay. me- this means I know I read that and I was I'm like need you to elaborate. I va- I vaguely remember that phrase. Okay, so this means the degree to which the evidence conv- convinces the jury to either accept or reject a factual assertion, okay. or basically the strength of the evidence. Okay. 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 The appellate court determined Kevin's arguments all focused on the credibility of Sabrina, specifically pointing out portions where she contradicted herself or was contradicted by another witness. Ultimately, the court states that while, quote, a jury could reasonably doubt portions of Zunich's testimony, 
The jury's decision to credit her testimony does not create such a manifest miscarriage of justice as to justify reversing Kevin's convictions. The court also notes that there was an abundance of circumstantial evidence corroborating critical parts of Sabrina's testimony. Yeah. I love circumstantial cases. Yeah, because they're like, but you can't, but you can't, but I didn't. And you're like, but like you did. But all signs point to yes. So if it looks I love like a duck it. and it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck. It's a duck. And I think I think the reason that I love that so much is because our personality type, we're very gotcha. We're very intuitive yeah. and we read people, but then you can't always you're like, damn it, I know I know you're doing this. I know <laughs> you are. I can't prove it yet, but I know you are. But if you could build a circumstantial case yeah. against them, you absolutely that does make sense. Did you ever see the show Cold Justice? No. Love that show so much. It's a, this prosecutor. Her name's Kelly. I forget her last name. <laughs> but her name's Kelly. She just kind of goes by Kelly on the show. But she literally travels the country opening up cold cases. that, mm. And she wins these cases, like, predominantly on circumstantial evidence a lot of the times. She just And so she, the way she explains everything. Oh, my gosh. I love it. Okay. Okay. We're almost done. I swear. Oh, you're fine. I'm just, there's so, just so much to process. In August of 2015, this is the part that I've been waiting for. I'm so excited. Oh, my so gosh. gosh. <laughs> this is great. You ever just have like this, like, yes, like somebody's so scummy and you're like, oh, I see right through you. Oh, I see it. And then they do something so stupid and you're like, yes, you're yes. going to get everything you deserve. Yes. Okay. So this is it. In August of 2015, Kevin sues. His former defense team alleging they lied about their trial experience to get hired, they charged excessive fees, and they behaved unprofessionally. (laughs) Do you know what this means? No. This means that he just allowed them. He just waved. They just waved his attorney. His (laughs) attorney client confidentiality and privilege. Oh my gosh. So you're so stupid. <laughs> so they basically can just say, "Yep, everything yep, now." Yep. So his attorneys, his former attorneys, countersue for breach of contract, claiming that Kevin still owed them two hundred sixteen thousand one hundred twenty dollars plus interest and fees. And thanks to his suit, he relieved his former attorneys of attorney-client privilege. Therefore, the team revealed in their countersuit that the plaintiff, quote, plaintiff is not innocent and, in fact, admitted to two defendants that he engaged in criminal acts which were at issue in the underlying criminal proceedings. Yep. So they didn't go into detail, but they definitely said he he did something. He did, like, he's not innocent. innocent. So... Oh Needless gosh. to say, he went that's on so... to appeal several more times. And, of course, that's public record, dude. Now all the courts are going, they're all going to know, like, you admitted to But you already guilt. said you did it. <laughs> yeah. To your attorneys, who you have to, like, nobody's making you be honest, but if you want them to do their job correctly, they need you to be You have to be honest. honest, but then don't be stupid and try and sue them and oh blame them gosh. for your loss. Did he ask another attorney before he sued them? Because somebody- Oh, yeah. This other attorney was like, it's not fair. Like, the quote, I should have quoted him, but I just was like, somebody oh, should you're- have told him. No. Bro. <laughs> this is not this smart. This is not a good idea. <laughs> if 
So the only thing that I could see is if he lied to the new defense, to that new yeah. attorney and said, no, I didn't do it. And they it's their fault that I that I lost. And that guy believes him, then, yeah, yeah he's, like, he's going to be no like, issue. Sue. But if he knew it, because no, I don't know. You'd have to be really full of yourself to be like, oh, you did it. But and you told your attorneys, that's OK, we'll sue him. And then the like. Because you know that role is going to go away and that they're yeah. going to be allowed to say whatever. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Last note. On a good note. I know it's just for, you know, lawsuits. Like, these people don't actually have the money to pay out. But it's nevertheless, the it's the principal. In 2017, a Lake County court awarded $6.2 million in damages to Lisa Knafel's daughters. Good. Five million against Sabrina and one point two million against Kevin. Good. So, will they see any of that? No, no. But but it's just so nice when victims can a lot of therapy to get through. So yes, ma'am. I know. I really. I my heart does really hurt for Megan. Oh yeah, both of them. But yeah, Megan was there and she was trying. That's horrible. Yeah. I mean, you don't really know, like, what did Haley witness? Like, obviously, she was in the closet, but was she peeking out? Did she just listen? Did she cover her ear? Like, you don't don't know. know what you're capable of at three. I still remember I had some big trauma at three, and I have not full, like, not super vivid memories, but I still have memories. They're vague, but. Okay. Yeah. So she'll need her fair share of yeah. therapy, too, probably. I mean, I'm sure some people block stuff out. No, I, I'm i not sure. I know. But some people block trauma out no matter what age yeah. they are. So I think it just depends on the person okay. as to well, how. I hope that they are doing well as well as they yeah, can. Yeah, absolutely. That was an amazing case. Thank you. That was awesome. You did a great job. Thanks, thanks. thanks I know it's a lot me. of numbers and insurance is always so exciting, but it was <laughs> really important. Stuff, really. It was important to get through. So thanks for all for all for listening. Okay. All right. Till next time. Till next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at Burden of Proof Pod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com. 